Hi, Peter. Um, I was hoping that you could help me with a situation I'm having. I've just heard a lot about you and your expertise and relationships, and I'd love your advice. We're on the clock over here, so just tell me, Karen, what, what brings you here? Okay. Um, so I have this friend, and we're, we're really close. But lately, every time, and we just, we go out often together, um, and lately, when we've been going to coffee together, I, like, I've been paying for our drinks, just because sometimes it's easier if I'm in line or something, and she comes in a little late, like, I've been paying for the drinks, and, and she hasn't been um, paying me back, and, like, I've, I ping her on Venmo and like ask her via text about it. And she just doesn't pay me back. And I, and I don't want to be difficult about this cause it's coffee, but like, you know, they add up after so many times. And so I don't know what to do exactly. And would love some help with your expertise. That cheap, lousy, no good of excuse for a human being. I mean, what is this? I mean, what, what, uh, Jesus already paid our debts, Karen. What are you trying to one-up him? It's, it's terrible. Look, look. This is what we need to do, okay? Don't address this with this person. You need to let this fester, okay? We need to create some kind of energy inside you. An energy of uh, a little bit of resentment, some bitterness. But the last thing you want to do is confront this person. Because it sounds like they're really not even that great of a friend. Your life could probably do without. So this is what I'm thinking. Okay. You're going to let this build up inside. You're going to be pretty, pretty passive with this person. Okay. A little short with this person. Don't really invest too much. Because there's no point in having a solution. This is not a good person. You deserve better, Karen. Hmm. I... So you want me not to bring it up with her? Yeah, yeah, no, no, not at all. I want you to post very obvious, negative social media posts about this person, mm. okay? Don't explicitly mention who they are, but pretty much describe them in a nutshell. Talk about okay. how uncomfortable this person is making you feel, how cheap they are, and just let it all out, okay? I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't mention her name. No, you don't mention their name, but make no. it abundantly clear that you're okay. talking about this person. This feels a little strange to me, but I mean, you're the you're the expert. Thank you, yeah. Karen. Look, there's no I in team, but there ain't no we either. Uh, Anyways, um, yeah. Hey, this is us is on. And uh, I put some ice cream out on the counter. It's melting. Um, so I'm going to need to get going. Okay. But hopefully okay. this is good for you. All right. Well, good morning to everyone. Welcome to The Well here at STSA, where we are in part two of a series called Relationship Hacks. And we're talking about relationships and what advice should look like and maybe what it shouldn't look like. But before we get into that, recently I was talking with my children about jobs. 
And I was talking about, they were asking me about like what kind of jobs I had when I was growing up. And I was telling them all the different things. And they said, Dad, which was your favorite job? So I told them, well, it depends what category. So I said, if you're asking me the job I made the most money at, that was when I worked. It was uh, the summer after, or not the summer, the Christmas break of my sophomore year of college. I worked at an Italian restaurant called Luciano's in Tyson's Corner. And I made the most amount of money that could be made in a four-week span. I made more than like $1,000 just in tips. It wasn't even like I didn't have to pay taxes on it. I know $1,000 these days is like, you know, what people want is like, like college kids want a signing bonus of $1,000 for a summer job. But back in the day, this was good money. Worked really hard, loved that job. But then I said, if you asked me which job was the funnest that I had the most fun at, I would say that was a job I had while I was actually in college. It was my second semester of my third year where I worked at Superfresh, which was a grocery store down in Charlottesville, Virginia. And that was so much fun because I was the only college kid with a whole bunch of people who this was their career. So these were all older people. So somehow we just had a great time. There was a great chemistry right there. And I was like the bad boy, but it was never really that crowded. So they let me do other cool stuff like unloading the dairy truck. And you know why unloading the dairy truck is fun? Because there's rules. In case you never worked in a grocery store, there's rules as to what can go on the shelf and what can't. So if there's a dent in a box or if something's been sitting in the corner for too long, it's like free game. So it was, everyone was excited to see when things were ex expired, shall we say. Like, and we got to eat whatever it is we want. So that was the funnest one. But if you ask me which job I learned the most at, which taught me the most, I would actually go back to my very first job that I ever had. It was after my, it was, I was 15 after my second year of high school, I worked at Heckinger. Anyone remember Heckinger? Okay, so you're old if you just raised your hand, you know what Heckinger is. Because Heckinger is like a hardware store that was before Home Depot. Okay, I still remember when Home Depot came out, they were the hot competition and we did not like Home Depot over at Heckinger. My job was a cashier, but what I liked to do was non-cashier items. Because I was the young kid, so they threw me at odd jobs and odd ends, which I really enjoyed. So I loved it when I got to load and unload the trucks. This was so much fun. Once I got to drive a forklift, this was like one of the highlights of my life. I loved it when they asked me to like assemble stuff. Like if they were going to put together like a floor model for a lawnmower or a grill or something, I had to be assembled. I loved it when something was broken, like broken shelves or something like that, and they needed someone to go and, and help the guy who was going to repair it. I love this job because I have this thing inside me that loves to fix things. That's why like when I go to the dentist, I get there early because they have the HGTV thing on and I just love to watch that thing nonstop. I love fixing things that are broken. Now the ironic thing is now that I'm a priest, I'm still in the business of fixing, but maybe just to fixing a different kind of a thing. Because one of the number one things that you come to me with and I get emails about is Father Anthony, how can I fix this relationship? Or even better, more specific, how can I fix this person? Tell me how to fix my husband. He's always lazy. He just sits there and watches TV. Tell me how to fix him. How do I fix my wife? Tell her to stop nagging. Tell her to leave me alone because I work hard. How do I fix my kids? Get them to listen. How do I fix my parents? Tell them to stop talking. How do I fix people and fix relationships? Well, the principle that I learned at Heckinger is the same principle that applies when it comes to relationships, which is this. It's always easier to start something than it is to fix it. Right, ladies and gentlemen? It's always easier to start something than it is to fix it. It's easier to start a lawnmower than to fix it when it isn't working. It's easier to assemble a grill 
as opposed to repair it when somebody has knocked it over and broken one of the parts. It's always easier to start than to fix, and the same is true when it comes to relationships. Like I said, we're in this series called Relationship Hacks, and the reason why we're talking about it is because there's a lot of broken relationships these days, a lot of strained relationships, and unfortunately, like we saw illustrated in the, in the intro video, a lot of us, we don't know what we're doing when it comes to fixing relationships. Because fixing relationships, there's two problems with it. Number one, it's hard, but that in and of itself isn't the major problem. Not only is it hard, it's not intuitive. And in fact, I think that usually the very thing that we think is going to fix it, we actually end up doing the opposite. We talked about this last week for those who are here. We say things like when a relationship is broken or when someone is upset, we say things like, I'm sorry if I offended you talked about this last week. I'm sorry if I offended you. Meaning, if you are so thin-skinned and you are so sensitive and you are just so easily offended and I happen to offend you, if I offended you, then I guess I'm sorry. We say things like, after that, when the person doesn't, doesn't, the conflict isn't resolved, we say things like, I said I'm sorry, why are you still upset? Okay, I don't want to do a show of hands of how many people who said those things in the past week or maybe this morning on the car ride over. But we all say those things. I said, I'm sorry, why are you still upset? You, clearly you have a problem. Those two lines, those two comments don't work with us, yet somehow we think it will work with others. Back to the assembly. You know when you put something together, there comes with, it comes with a manual, an instruction manual. And you know how like the first two pages of an instruction manual don't tell you what to do? They tell you what not to do, right? Like never plug in next to heat. Don't use the water, like the stuff that nobody reads, okay? Like never do this, never do this, never do this. That's what I'm telling you. That's like our repertoire when it comes to relationships. If someone was going to write a book on relationships, on what works and doesn't work, we would be the ones who would be doing all the things on page one. We all have those go-to moves, and unfortunately, they usually end up backfiring on us because our nature is to dig in when we should open up. Our nature is to avoid when we should address. And our nature is to convince when we should connect. Now, it's this last one right here that really, this is me, okay? If, if, if you've ever been in an argument with me, I, I probably not, but my family, I'm sure they, they would agree with this, is that I'm, I'm the convincer. I'm a logical person. I'm a rational person. I'm a one plus one equals two. And I think I'm pretty decent okay with words. Like, it's my job on a weekly basis to come here and convince people to do something they don't want to do. That's my job. So you can imagine how fun it is to have an argument with me. I can, no matter what the argument, no matter what the argument, I can tell you, I can give you three reasons why you're wrong and I'm right, and I can make them all start with the letter F so you can remember them on the way home. That's what I do as a profession. That's what I do. And one time, I remember my, my teenage daughter Okay, she told me this, and she used a lot of words, which I won't repeat all those words, but one of the things that, that she, the, the, the summary of what she said, she said, Dad, I know I'm wrong, but I can't take another lecture. That's what she told me. To which I probably responded, well, I wouldn't be lecturing if you listened to the first, I, I'm sure I did all, but let, let's agree, that's my go-to move, but that doesn't help us get closer to resolving the conflict. My go-to move, which seems like this is logical, this should solve the problem. After I tell you how you're wrong and I'm right, everything should be fine. But it usually pulls us further away from the solution. 
Proverbs 16, verse 25, I think is perfectly applicable to this concept of relationships. There's a way that seems right. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. For relationships, there's a way that seems right. Like for me, it seems right to keep talking, keep convincing, keep persuading, the bullet points and the outline, like that's what seems right. That's my go-to move. That's the tool that I reach for in the tool chest. But it's not. It actually ends in more conflict. It doesn't resolve it. It actually pushes people further away. For me, what seems right is never to shut my mouth and listen. But I've learned that's the only way to fix it. And here's what I want to say, is you have a go-to move too. You have a go-to move as well. There's something that you naturally reach for when, when there's conflict, that when someone offends you or someone upsets you or you disagree, you naturally pull a tool out. That, 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 that's your go-to move. So maybe some of you, maybe you're a yeller, okay? I call this the uh, machine gun approach, right? Which is just start firing bullets. When someone, it's anything, you just fire bullets and it doesn't matter who's in your way, you're gonna force people to see that you're right. And by the end, they're just gonna say, okay, fine, fine, fine. They're just gonna give up because they just don't wanna, they don't wanna hear any more yelling. Maybe you're a yeller. Maybe you, your weapon, is guilt. This is a favorite of parents all over the world, is guilt, which is the, after all I've done for you, <laughs> after all I've sacrificed for you, and this is how you repay it. The, the idea here is that if I shame you enough and, and put enough guilt inside you, you eventually agree that I'm right and do what I want you to do. It's called manipulation is what it's called. Some of us were passive aggressive, okay, which is fine. Passive aggressive, fine. Take my ball and go home. That's what you mean? Okay, fine. And we're just going to just, okay, fine. And we're just basically going to not, not play. We're not going to be involved. And if that's how you want to be, that's fine. All of these tools, these are go-to moves. Tell me, do they work on us? Do we appreciate when people passive aggressive us? Do we appreciate when people shame us and guilt us? Do we appreciate when people lecture us to no end? They don't work on us. But for some reason, this is what we do with others. And that's why our key thought for this, for this series is this. Is starting relationships is easy, fixing them is Starting relationships is easy, fixing them is not. Starting relationships is intuitive. Starting relationships makes sense. The wooing, the chasing, the nice. Starting relationships, like it makes sense to us. But then what happens when it's broken? It's like that car. Like we know how to start the car. We know how to drive the car. We know how to get the oil changed. We know how to shine it. But then it starts making a noise and we're like, what do we do? And we don't know what to do. And that's why I said last week is that for some of us, it's easier to just get a new car. Okay? That's why we do leases because we don't understand. So we just get a new one. But is that our attitude towards relationships? Unfortunately, for some of us, the answer is yes. We throw away relationships because we don't know how to repair them. And we can all look back all look back and we can think or maybe actually shouldn't be look back it probably right now we can look around we all know that there's someone there's that family member that that family member that we know about but we don't talk about okay then when that person's name comes up it gets kind of awkward in the room because it was ever since that one thanksgiving that we don't talk about him or ever since so-and-so's wedding that we don't bring him up. And you're, you're, you may ask your parents about him, and your parents will be like, no, 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 no. And we, and we push him off to the side. We've all been there. 
and we see those situations with our parents or with our friends, and we all say the same thing. That's silly. I would never do that. That's ridiculous. Why can't they be more mature? And then let's be honest. Let's look around. And then we do the same thing. We got that person that we don't talk to or that person that it's awkward or a person that's just a high and that, you know, we have those relationships and we end up doing the exact same thing. So what we're doing here in this series is we're being better than that because my assumption is, you'll agree with me on this, that no one likes living with that tension and that awkwardness. No one likes having that person that they don't want to make eye contact with. No one likes living what it is is a double life is that I'm one way in front of you and another way behind. No one likes that. That takes a toll on us emotionally, spiritually, and physically as well, if it continues. So none of us want that. So what we're doing here in this series is we're Romans 12, 18. Let's read this together. This is our theme verse. I want everyone to read it with me, including those watching us in Arlington. Read it all together. It says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, Peaceably with all men. I didn't hear anybody in Leesburg. I didn't hear anybody in Arlington. Together with me again. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I want you to memorize this by the end of this series. So I'll make you say it every single week. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And this one verse has two halves. And the two halves form the foundation of this series. I talked about them quickly last week to remind you of what they are. The first half is, if it is possible, as much as depends on you. And what that says is, success isn't reconciliation. Success is threats. We can't control. We're talking about relationships. We ain't talking about a printer. If it's a printer that's broken, I control all the parts. I buy this. I order this. I can put it all together. I can sit here and I can make it work. Relationships can't be that way. So that's why it says in the beginning, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. I'm only 50% of the relationship. So I can't measure success by whether or not the person accepts and we become reconciled. Some situations won't be reconciled. The measure of success is whether I get to the end and I can say, if there's no, if there's no reconciliation, wasn't because I didn't do my part. I did my part as much as depends on me. I can't force the other person, but no regrets, no regrets. But the second half of it, okay, the second principle seems contradictory to this first one, but we talked about it last week. It's not. Forgiveness isn't enough. I must strive for reconciliation. So what we said last week in the first principle is that reconciliation is not the measure of success because I may never reach it. However, I'm always striving for it because there will be a temptation. There will be a temptation to say, I did my part. I did all I could do. It's on the other person. Here I am. Okay, Father Anthony, I'm not going to lecture them. I'm not going to guilt them. I'm not going to yell. I'm just going to stand. I forgave them. And whenever they're ready, I'm ready for them as well. Stopping the negative. This is important. Stopping the negative. Not lecturing. Not guilting. Not yelling. Doesn't move you towards reconciliation. Like those are not decisions. Not that they're not decisions. They're a a not decision. Like a not decision doesn't get you to a solution. It just stops you from getting further. So just like, for example, Christ didn't say, I'm not going to punish you and I'm not going to smite you 
and I'm not going to hold your sin over your head. That's not what he did. He didn't say, I'm just going to not do those things. He said, I'm going to not do those, and I am going to be proactive, and I am going to take the initiative, and I am going to come down to you, and I am going to roll up my sleeves, and I'm going to come to you and show you that I accept you. So we need to be the same. If our goal, if I'm striving for reconciliation, the first step is the knots, but we're not going to stop there. We're not going to stop and say, well, I stopped yelling. So there they, they should be no problem right there. I stopped lecturing, so there should be no problem right there. We're going to stop those things. But then what we're going to do is we're going to do like Jesus did. And we're going to be proactive. And we're going to strive for reconciliation because that is our calling as children of God. Now, starting today, okay, it's a five-week series. Last week was kind of the intro. Starting today, each week, we're going to look at one proactive step or we can call it a relationship hack. Now, when I say relationship hacks, sometimes the term you may think of hack means like a shortcut, but I don't mean it in that way. What I mean is solutions. When I think of hacks, what I think is all the people try to do this and they try to do this and it doesn't work, and then a hack is something that not everyone knows, but when you apply it, it gets you closer to the solution, it helps you solve the problem. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at one proactive step, one hack, and it's based on these two principles. The number one, when all is said and done, no regrets. I'm gonna do my part. Everyone agree with me that we want no regrets in life, okay? And you need to agree because I'm gonna start challenging you to do something that you're gonna say I don't wanna do. I want no regrets in life and I'm gonna strive for reconciliation. We all agree? Everybody agree? No regrets? And we wanna strive for reconciliation. Everybody agree? Well, if that's the case, let's get to our first relationship hack. Before I get it for you, like I said, I'm going to tell you, I want to tell you what you're going to think as soon as I put it up on the screen and tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you what you're going to think. As soon as I put it up on the screen, you're going to be thinking to yourself, you'll be tempted to say, I will absolutely, positively do exactly what you're saying, Father Anthony. That's a great idea. I will do that as soon as they apologize. I will do that as soon as they come back and say they were wrong. I will absolutely do that, but I'm going to tell you up front, that's not how we're approaching it, because we're going to look at our example, our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you two passages, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Tell me if that's the way he views it. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait and say, okay, go ahead, say you're sorry. No, mean it. Do you mean it? He didn't make us say we were sorry. We didn't even know we had anything to apologize for, yet he died for us. He took all the initiative. And I'm going to say, that's not fair, but that's Christ. Next verse, 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And in case you're wondering, just to make sure we're clear, that Jesus was the offended party in all the circumstances. So before you start to tell me your story about what the other person did and how they should first, Jesus was the innocent one. He was not guilty. He was the one who was offended. He was the victim, yet still... We love him because he first loved us. Everyone good with me? No regrets. Reconciliation, even if the other person doesn't. Let's go to our first relationship hack. Our first relationship hack is this. I will come back to, not get back at. I will come back to, say that, say, repeat after me. Say, I will come back to, not get back at. We will never admit it. We will never admit it. But we like revenge. We won't admit it, but we like 
revenge. We all call it revenge because that's just so evil. But we like getting back at. We like getting even with. We like when the person hurts me. I may not want to hurt them physically. You may. Maybe that's a different series we need to do afterwards if that's the case. But you know what? I want them to feel what they did to me. I want to make sure that they know what they did. So emotionally, I'm not saying I want to crush them and destroy them, but I want them to feel it. I want them to know what they did is wrong, and I want them to feel some of the effects, because I've been feeling it, and I don't think that's fair, so I want them to feel it. So you know that's why we, we do? That's why we go silent treatment. That's why we go passive-aggressive. That's why we don't do anything wrong, and we're professionals at this, of doing nothing bad, but also doing nothing good. Of saying nothing wrong, but saying nothing nice. And then we just throw in a little jab here and there. Just enough so that they feel it, but they would never, it would never, no one would ever look and say, well, why? It's not wrong. It's just, hey, I'm just joking. We want them to feel it. What we do is we stand with our arms like this. And I know people, they want the whole world to see them like this. No, no, I didn't go to that. Ask me why. No, no, I'm not there. Go ahead, ask me why. I want to tell you my story. We love to show the world that we are victims. And that's our way of getting even and getting back at. Well, I know that some of us will be tempted to say, but Father Anthony, you don't know what so-and-so did to me. And Father Anthony, this situation, and I get it, and I get it, and I'm try- I know people here have been hurt, people have hurt you, people have stabbed you in the back. I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm not trying to minimize it. However, I want to show you a passage from Romans chapter 12. We're going to read a of, of, of this chapter, which is all about relationships, I'm going to bring the last section, then I'm going to go back and get to the beginning, because I think the end gives us kind of the punchline, or at least kind of sets the stage, and then we'll get the details. Romans 12, verse 19 to 20, says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now you read that. You're like, but Father Anthony, what so-and-so did to me was so bad. And they stabbed me in the back. And they were wrong. And they, and they, and they, and they. And I'm, again, my heart, I'm with you. They're evil. I get it. You're good. Like, I totally get it. But let me just ask you a question. Humor me just here on this question. Your story, which is so bad. Your story, which is so difficult. I get it. Does God know your story? Does God know? If you told him your story, what do you think he'd say? If you told St. Paul your story, what do you think he'd say? Do you think that God would say, really? Oh, that's bad. I never heard that before. No, no, no. Ignore this first. Don't worry. Just rip Romans 12 out of your Bible. Don't ignore it. Just cross it out. Do you think that's what he'd say? You know what I think he'd say? I think God would say, I get it. Your situation, I get it. And revenge, I get it. But revenge is my job. Leave that to me. I'll get back at them. Leave it to me. You do your job, I'll do my job. What's my job? 
Your job is simple. As much as depends on you, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That's your job. It's the same chapter. What I showed you is verse 19 and 20. The verse before was our theme verse, which is if it is possible, your job, live peaceably with all men. And then the next verse, if it doesn't work out, leave vengeance to me. Because we have this idea of getting even, getting even. I'm with you on getting even. But let's leave it to God. Let's let him do what he does. And let's, let's focus on what we can do. And what we can do is simple. I will come back to, I will not get back at. We're going to go back through Romans 12 right now. Like I said, Romans 12 is one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. It's so simple. It's so practical. It talks about how to be successful at relationships and very simple. It's, it's the easiest read. There's nothing that needs commentary and interpretation. It's very straightforward. We're going to see it. And before we read what the verses say, the context of Romans 12, St. Paul is writing to a group of people in Rome who, one, are being persecuted by the people around them, and Christianity is an illegal religion at the time. So people are, are happy to kill them and happy to persecute them. But even beyond that, St. Paul is talking to a group of people who it's very clear from the rest of the book had several conflicts, serious conflicts within the church. Like their interpersonal relationships were all messed up. They were just starting in this Christianity thing. And there was all kinds of problems. But what you'll notice in this passage, St. Paul tells them what they should do. And he never once, he never once mentions what anyone else did. He doesn't once mention the conflict because the implication is very clear that your behavior, listen carefully, your behavior is independent of their sin. Your behavior is independent of what they've done to you because you are not doing it based on what they deserve. You're doing it based on what you deserve. You're not doing it based on what they've done to you, but based on what God through Christ has done for each one of us. So this is what I want you to do. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a child of God. Independent of what they've done. We're no more an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. This is what it means. And it's with that context, with that lens, I'm going to bring up these, chap these, these verses. We're going to go through them pretty quick. But I want you to think of that person that you hate. You would never say that you hate, but you're in church, so you can't lie. Okay? The person that you hate, the person that you don't want to talk to, the person that you avoid, the person that the conflict, that person. I want you to read these verses with that person in your mind, starting in verse 9. Romans 12, 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. We'll go verse by verse so we can get something out of each one. The love be without hypocrisy. Anybody like a hypocrite? Anybody enjoy being around hypocrites? Anybody here, don't raise your hands, is a hypocrite? Well, hypo hypocrisy means feeling one way and acting another. It means being fake. It means pretending. It means just like what you do when you see that person. Oh, hi. Good to see you. Oh, and oh, we should get together. How, again, how many conversations end with we should get together? And nobody ever picks up the phone. It's the, uh, <laughs> or the side hug. You know what I mean? It's the, clearly we don't like each other. But that's how we pretend in front of others. Well, I got news for you. That's hypocrisy. And I'm not telling you you're Satan or you're evil, you're the devil. But what I'm saying is if there's someone in your life that fits that category, you got work to do. If there's someone that you're pretending to love, there's work that God wants to do. 
And again, you don't know my story. You don't know what they, I get it. But here's what I want to say, and I'm saying this in all love. And I said this last week. I'll say this probably every week just to preface. I realize there are some relationships where it is not wise and it is not safe to pursue reconciliation. Let me say that again. There are some relationships that it is not wise and it is not safe to pursue reconciliation. But then listen carefully. Those are the exception, not the rule. Those are like the 5%. But if you tell me that, yeah, because of that person and because of that, and if it's for you, it's 50% of the relationships, no, 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 no. Now we're playing games. Now we're abusing, now we're abusing God's love. Now we're, abu- now we're abusing wisdom and safe. No, 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 no. There are some not wise, not safe. Those are the exception. And what I'm afraid is that we run to the exception. As soon as something happens, oh yeah, so that, we put it in that category. There are some in that category, but it is not the majority. It is the exception. And what I want to say, again, with all love, sometimes people say, you may say to me, but Father Anthony, you don't understand. And what I want to say to you, in all love, maybe you don't understand. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you are just quick to make an excuse for yourself. I can't. Too hard. Too bad. And what I'm saying is, as much as depends on you, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, we live peaceably with all men. We don't give ourselves an excuse that God doesn't give us. And what we're seeing here in Romans chapter 12 is God is calling us. He's challenging us to live this way. And if we tried and we didn't get there, okay, no regrets. But come on, some of us never really tried. And then look what he says. He says what to do with that. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. But you say, but I hate this person. He tells us here in this verse, you know, it's okay to hate in Christianity. Hate is okay. He says that we can abhor, but he just says, make sure that it's directed at the right thing. You don't hate a person. He says, abhor what is evil. So what he's saying right here is, you got hate, no problem. You can hate something, but you can't hate someone. You can hate a what, but you can't hate a who. You can hate what happened to us. I hate that this happened. I hate the consequences of this decision. I hate that we are not close anymore. I hate that we spend Thanksgiving in an awkward way. I hate it that there's hypocrisy between us. You can hate it. And I'm telling you, God hates it. But you can't hate someone. You hate something. Keep on going. Verse 10. He says, then be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor bring preference to one another. Think about that person that you do in the, the awkward the kiss and the avoid. Be kindly affectionate to them with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Let me tell you other translations of in honor giving preference to one another. Let me tell you what it means. Other translations say, honor one another above yourselves. Think of that person. Honor that person above yourself. Next one. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Imagine that. Imagine this person. You're going to honor them above yourself. And it says, outdo one another. You know, like the whole, like what I think of when I think of honor one another, giving preference, you know that like, no, you first, no, you first, no, you first. That's what we're supposed to be. You know that as Christians, that's what our, like that's supposed to be our interaction right here. Like it's supposed to be, no, you, no, you. Like there's three donuts, there's four of us, no, you, no, you. Like that's supposed to be us. And what he's saying right here, follow me right here. Just stick with me right here. We talk about so often, We talk about what they did to us and how the situation stinks and our hands are tied and what we can't control. Have you tried this? Because this whole chapter is about what you can't control. 
So I realize there's lots of things that's outside your control that you can't do. But this is something that's in your control. So let's stop focusing on what we can't do. And let's try to focus on what we can. And what we can do is take my pride, my ego, put it down, lift the other person up. I'm going to skip to verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, I just bring in this right here and I say, chances are, we're sitting here, okay, in Northern Virginia, 2022, let's say 21. Chances are, no one's persecuting us. Like anyone persecuted this past week? Like maybe like our teenage children would say, our parents are persecuting us because, okay, but other than them, most of us would say, we're not being persecuted. We're at most being like, you know, neglected or ignored or treated rudely or like at most, like it doesn't even come close to persecuted. These people had people trying to kill them. And St. Paul says, bless them, pray for them. Do good to them. And you say, St. Paul, that doesn't make any sense. That's not wise. And what I say to you, that's what Jesus taught us. Don't sell yourself short on what you're, what you're capable of doing. Don't give yourself an excuse that God doesn't give you. Don't automatically say, I can't. Like we look and say, I can't. Let's say we can. And let's say we'll try and we'll take the initiative. Verse 15. Here's a verse that we don't like. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This to me is the measure of our ability to truly have peace and love with one another. This is the measure of whether or not we're doing a good job. Because let me tell you, the worst part inside you that I already know exists because it exists in me too, the worst thing that exists inside you. This says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know the worst part, the ugliest part inside of us? We will never admit it. But there's a little piece of us. When that person fails, oh, I'm sorry. Right? That person's failure, we may say on the outside, but secretly, we're cheering for it. We're hoping, fail, fail, fail. And the opposite, that person's success, we get angry, we get upset. We're the exact opposite of this verse. It says that we should truly, the measure, we should rejoice with those who rejoice, even if they're people that we don't like, even if people, and we should weep with those who weep. Now, again, I'm not telling you that you're evil if you have this inside you. All I'm simply saying, I'm not judging anyone. All I'm saying is we got work to do. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is not that you're the worst person because it's all of us, but it simply highlights the fact that we got something that we need to work on. It's so easy to say they need and they should and when are they? But all I'm saying is we got something inside of us because as, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, we're gonna live peaceably with all men. We're gonna strive for reconciliation because that's who we're called to be. And that gets us to the conclusion of the chapter right here, verse 17, then our theme, verse verse 18. He sums it up and says, simply repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. How many of us, I want to be a better person. I want to get closer to God. I want to be a better Christian. St. Paul says, here's your chance. Here's your chance. You said you want to be a better person, right? Here's your chance. Repay no one evil for evil. Or... I will come back to 
I will not get back at you. You want to be a better person? I got your challenge for you. 2022, you be a better person by focusing on this. Coming back to not stopping halfway, not stopping halfway coming back to versus getting back at. Now, last thing I want to say here. Assumingly, right now, you got someone in your mind that as we've been working through this together, you're thinking to yourself, I hate this person, and now I hate Father Anthony for telling me to be nice to this person. <laughs> and I get it. But what I'm going to say first thing is, come back to, don't get back at. So we already talked about no, so I get it. I get it. And I get that this is a heavy weight. And I get, like I said, that there's a lot of emotion that's involved in this. I get it, I get it, I get it. So because I don't want to just leave you with this heavy weight, I want to give you two things to walk away here with. I want to give you a prayer that you can pray and a question that you can ask. And I think if you pray this prayer and you answer this question, it will make this weight a little bit lighter. For the person who, like I said, you got your arms crossed. Father Anthony, everything you're saying is nice. I will do it once they do that. Once they come to me. Once they come and apologize. Once they admit. I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm going to start with the prayer. And again, because I know what's inside all of us. As soon as I show you the prayer on the screen, something inside you is going to resist. Is going to push back. Is going to... And, and when that happens, I'm telling you in advance... When that happens, I want you to try to figure out why that is. Because I think it may be indicating that, again, I'm not saying you're the worst person on the planet, but it may be indicating that there's something inside that you're not really ready to admit yet. Maybe there is, is that love without hypocrisy? Maybe there's a little bit of hypocrisy in there. We talk about forgiveness. Maybe there's a little bit of unforgiveness. Maybe it's not that the other person needs, maybe it's me I need to, so... Something is going to come inside you, and when that does, I want you to embrace and figure out why that is. Ready for the prayer? This is what we're going to pray. We're going to pray, Heavenly Father, help me to see blank the way you do. And you're going to insert that person's name. Hopefully you did not insert my name, but if you'd want to do it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, help me to see so-and-so the way you do. And help me to feel towards so-and-so, the way you do. This is the goal of life. Calling ourselves Christians means we want to be like Christ. The goal of Christ is to act as he acted, to talk as he talked, to see as he saw, and to feel as he felt. That's the goal. And it's a high goal that no one's going to get to by the end of today, but that's what we should be striving for, is how to see others the way Christ sees them and to feel about them as he does. Now, as you pray this prayer, I want you to, the question, do you think about this person? Do you think that as Christ looks about at this person and thinks about them, do you think Christ is standing like this as he thinks about this person? Do you think Christ is saying, when they come to me, then I will? Do you think, just simply, do you think he hates them? Simplify it for you in one question. Do you think your heavenly father is angry with that person at all? I don't know. 
Do you think he's angry with me? I'm stewing. I can't. But do you think he is? Can I tell you what I think? I think when that person prays, God hears them. I think when that person cries, I think God wipes their tears. Here's the hardest part. I think when that person repents, God accepts them and rejoices over them with everlasting joy. Do you? I think God is brokenhearted over the sin that led that person to that state, but I don't think that God is angry at the person. I think God looks at it and says, like we said earlier, I abhor what is evil. I hate the sin. I hate the conflict. But I don't hate the person. And I think what he's saying is, I'm going to do whatever it takes. He, saying, if it is possible, as much as depends on me, I'm going to have reconciliation with every person on this planet. And we're his children. And that's why our prayer is, God, help me to think as you think about them and to see as you see. But the problem is, as long as I am waiting for them, as long as I am, well, I'm ready to forgive whenever they're ready to apologize, as long as I am passive-aggressive, as long as I am doing all those things, again, not saying you're the worst person, but it simply means that there's work to be done on our end. Because when you start to see the person as your heavenly Father sees them, you know what happens then? Walls start to come down. When you start to feel towards that person the way your heavenly Father feels towards them, bridges start to get built. Things that were such a big deal start to dissipate. Things that were all never, he has to. Those things, when you see as God sees, when you feel as God feels, it doesn't put a change in the relationship but it makes a change inside us. And that's the goal of this series. Can we say our theme verse again one more time? All together. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Our first relationship hack is I will come back to, not get back at. I will come back to, not get back at. I will come back to the person, to the relationship, not get back at them. Relationship hack number two that's where we're going to pick it up next week. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you because you came to make peace and reconciliation with all of us even though we didn't deserve it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see as you see, to feel as you feel, and that through that, Lord, we would make you proud as ambassadors of reconciliation as your children on this earth. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine